the church has a great mission. Church has a great mission because the church has a great master. And he has called us to follow him and to partner with him in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Not just those who are like us, but with everyone, all people of all nations, of every tongue, of every tribe, of every ethnicity. He has invited us to partner with him in the ministry of reconciling the world to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it seems overwhelming. And it requires more than what we think we have in us. And so it takes more people being involved. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. You see, tonight we're going to have our family meeting at 6 o'clock. And one of the items that's going to take place at the end of that time is that we, as a church family, are going to spend some time together in prayer and then in nominating men that you feel would serve well as deacons to this body in the days ahead. It's an important ministry. And that's why I want us to look this morning in the book of Acts, in the sixth chapter, to see when the, the first century church first undertook this task. While you're turning, let me just ask you, do any of you remember when you were growing up playing a game called Follow the Leader? That used to be kind of big in the neighborhood I grew up in. It was fun. The leader ran, you ran. The leader jumped, you jumped. The leader put his finger in his ear, you put your finger in your ear. It was a lot of fun. Sometimes some gross things happened. But if your neighborhood was anything like mine, here's a reality. Everybody wanted to be the leader. And after a while, if a person didn't get to be the leader, it, usually the game would begin to degenerate and it would wind up in a disagreement, an argument, or worse. But I want you to understand something with me this morning. When it comes to the church, the body of Christ, follow the leader is more than just a game. It's a vital principle of local church life. You see, God gives to his body key people whose function is to lead the church, to lead the bride forward in growth, in mission, in ministry. Failure to follow those chosen leaders doesn't mean that you've lost a game. It means that the church has missed out on blessings and growth and obedience to the master. This morning I walked in, as I do virtually every Sunday morning, and I, I walked to this Bible down here, and I opened it to Acts chapter 6. Every week I tend to come in here and turn this Bible to the passage we're going to read. And I thought it was interesting because it's not the same as this Bible I have in my hands as far as 
the version or the way that it's printed. There are changes that get made, you know. And when I looked at the top of chapter 6 in Acts in this Bible, it said this. First strife in Jerusalem church. Who would have thought it? A church in conflict? How can that be? Well, it bees a lot. It happens in many places and in many ways and for a multitude of reasons. But I want us to see why it happened in the first century church in Jerusalem not long after Pentecost. And so if you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 6, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Read down through verse 7 with me. If you can, Will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together this morning from His inspired Word. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Here's the record. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Father, how we love to hear the record of how you work in the lives of your people and in the life of your church. And Father, I pray that in these few brief moments we're going to spend together in this passage, that you would help us to see, to understand, to recognize the needs, the methods, and the ministry. Father, open our eyes to your truth and help us to understand how we as a body of believers might better serve your kingdom, reaching to the lost, caring for the needy, and offering hope to the hopeless. Father, teach us your way. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to understand something this morning without any hesitation. Leadership in the church comes from God. The church is his bride. It is his body. We belong to him. 
He governs, he rules, he reigns. He's the one who established the church. He is the one who paid for the church, bought it with the price of the blood of his son. He is the one who set the structure in place. He is the one who calls the men who lead. He is the one who grants them authority to do what he calls them to do. For the job of leading his church, I believe that God is looking for a few good men. Always has been, always will be. Those men who are willing to sell out their lives in order to accomplish the mission of the church and the mission of Jesus Christ, no matter what it may call for. He doesn't want them to be the most talented or the most gifted or the most eloquent. You don't have to be the most of anything other than being the most available and willing. But he does desire that there be a toughness. Because you see, it's not easy to get out front. Sometimes, just sometimes, it gets difficult. The reason is because of the composition of the church. I mean, look around you, folks. We're sinners. Thankfully and graciously saved by God's amazing grace. But we are sinners. And our old man battles against the new creation. And there is an ongoing conflict. And every now and again, as I read down here, there is strife in the church. It happened in Acts chapter 6. By the way, if you've got your Bible open there, don't close it. We're not leaving there. All right? But I want us to unpack those verses a little bit. I want you to see what God revealed to me, what he showed me as I was looking at these verses and contemplating what happens tonight in the life of our church. I, I know that you received some mail that, that gave you information about tonight. And if you're a member of our congregation, you saw what the requirements are according to Scripture and according to, to what we believe and practice. But I want you to see what happened right here in Acts chapter 6, starting with the conflict. The conflict. You see, the church had problems. Every church has problems. They differ from place to place, from locale to locale, but the church had problems. Say, so what do you mean the church had problems? Well, look with me. Go back. Let's just walk our way through these verses again. Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, what a problem to have. The church was growing. And God's spirit was moving. The gospel was touching hearts. People were being transformed by the power of the word of God and the ministry of his Holy Spirit. The church was growing. When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. Complaining. Did you catch that word? They complained Unfortunately for them yet, no one could take, tell them, take your Bible and turn to Philippians 2.14. Paul hadn't penned it yet. They didn't have that letter. Wouldn't it have been awesome if, if someone could have just told them, hey guys, if you'll wait a few years, Paul's going to write a letter to Philippi, and in Philippians 2.14, he's going to write these words, do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> hadn't been written yet. So they complained. 
God had to do something. Do you know something? I, I realize, you know what? We can disagree and we can do it agreeably. We can discuss, we can debate, we can even argue and walk away smiling and loving on each other. But I want you to understand something. God's way does not include grumbling, fussing, and carrying on. Because so oftentimes when that begins to happen, what happens then is that the church begins to bring shame on the name of Jesus Christ. And our Lord does not want that. He does not need that. And I want to tell you something. He will not long put up with that. This church had problems. They were complaining. Well, why were they complaining? Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Somebody wasn't getting taken care of. I mean, it's, a, it's as simple as that. We want to boil it down. Somebody was not getting taken care of. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't necessarily a, a slight that someone had aimed at. It was an unintentional thing that was happening. Listen, it's seldom the big things that cause problems within the fellowship of the church. It's usually little things that can easily be repaired if someone will just address the situation. Well, what was the little thing? Someone needed to fulfill this ministry. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. That means the church. They called the assembly together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of word of God in order to wait on tables. Can I just point it out and put it to you like this? The first pastors of the first church were overwhelmed. It had grown so fast. And so, do you remember what happened at Pentecost? I mean, the Spirit of God moved. Peter preached. How many people were saved? 3,000 souls were added to the church in one day. They were overwhelmed. I want you to understand something this morning. More pastors are falling by the wayside today than ever before in the history of the church. Men are leaving the ministry in record numbers. Ministry families are being fractured and broken apart in record numbers. And my friends, so much of it has to do with the fact that pastors are overwhelmed. Ministers are overwhelmed. There's more to do than they can do. And they want to please everybody. They want to satisfy all of the churchmen. But you can't do it. You can't satisfy all the people all the time. And, and it, gets, it gets to eating on you. Can I tell you the other side of it, though? I'm not on a pity party here. I want you to understand something. On the other side of that same coin, there are multitudes of churches across our country that are dying today because of the lack of sufficient ministry that's being done and offered to them. The reality is there's a balance to be found. And we've got to find that balance. How do you do that? You get people involved in ministry. They had a conflict. But out of that conflict comes the commitment. You say, well, what do you mean, the commitment? Well, listen, the apostles had a plan. Now, please understand, I don't think it was their plan. I think it was God's plan. I think he just showed it to them. He revealed it to them, and, and they decided to carry it out. If you've still got your Bible open, look at verse 3. 
after they'd called the people together and explained what they needed to be doing, they said, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. The apostles had a plan to spread the workload. Choose godly men. Choose men that have wisdom. Choose men who are filled with the Spirit of God. You see, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you love God's people. You love the body of Christ. You love the bride of Christ. You want to see her happy and healthy and well cared for and well provided for. And so they developed this concept of shared ministry. Well, why did they need to do this? They've already explained it once, but they do again in verse 4. And we will give our attention to prayer. I'm just going to stop there because, well, this is two parts. Prayer. There was a commitment on the part of the apostles to prayer. I want you to hear me this morning. Bride of Christ, hear me. If there is no prayer, there is no power. If there is no power, there is no purpose. And if there is no power and there is no purpose, there is no ministry. You see, the leadership of the church must engage in the ministry and the practice of prayer. I honestly believe this. If I'm not praying, you're not going to be praying. If I'm not talking about praying, sharing with you what God's showing me and teaching me in my prayer life, you're not going to engage in it. We've got to do this together, but leaders must lead. And so here are the apostles, the first pastors of this church, and they're saying, listen, we're going to lead in prayer. We are going to be praying men who are going to pray for this body, but that takes time. You see, prayer is also one of the key elements in preparing for the next commitment, and that was the ministry of the Word. They wanted to preach. They wanted to teach. They wanted to proclaim the Word of God. They wanted to to have people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the church is not constantly proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what hope does our world have? None. What can change a heart? Jesus. What can transform a life? Jesus. Who can take what's broken and make it right and whole? Jesus. Who has the ability to take a marriage that's falling apart and put it back together and bind it up so tight you'd never even know there was a problem? It's Jesus. Friend, I can go on and on and on like this all day long. Y'all just going to have to amen a little louder to get me to stop and go on. Jesus is the only one who has the power to fix what ails us. How do we know that? Through the ministry of the Word. It's when God's word is opened, the gospel is proclaimed, and we see how Jesus has the ability to give sight to blind eyes, to give hearing to deaf ears, to give life to a dead body. When we begin to see what Jesus can do, we begin to understand the power that's in this man and in his name and in his blood. And when we begin to understand that and we begin to share it, lives get changed all around us. That's the commitment that those first pastors in the Jerusalem church had. 
we are going to pray and we are going to preach. We are going to love on people and we are going to love them into the kingdom of God to the very best of our ability. And we believe God's given us a plan as to how that can happen. Y'all go choose seven men from among you. Men full of wisdom. Men full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to give them the responsibility for this, taking care of people as best they can. We're going to work alongside them. They're going to work alongside us. We're going to see what God does when we share this ministry together. Oh, listen, they had a conflict, but they made a commitment. And I want to tell you something. Out of their commitment, you see God's confirmation. A lot of people miss this part of the story. I don't want you to miss it. Because I believe in deacon ministry. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of pastors who will not stand up and say this this morning. I believe in deacon ministry. My daddy was a deacon before I was ever born. I grew up in a household where it was not at all uncommon for me to go to bed and lay in my bed and listen to my father and our pastor or one of our staff members sitting in another part of the house. I couldn't hear their conversation, but I could hear their voices as they talked. And sometimes I could hear them as they began to weep. And I heard them whenever they began to pray. And I knew that there was a shared ministry there. And I have through the years served with some of the most godly men and I've watched them as they've led others to Christ. I've watched them as they have cared for the hurting and the wounded and those who were weeping and grieving. I've watched them as they've provided for those who were in need. I've watched them do things that others would never even consider doing. And I praise God for men like that. And you find them right here. You see, this is how God confirms this ministry. Got your Bible open? I want you to look at this. I want you to see this with me. Verses 5 through 7. First, they saw God's power in the assignment. Go to verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose. Did you hear that? They chose. The pastors didn't pick them. No, God's people chose them. And they chose. God led, and the people acted. They chose chose and it's my conviction and my belief that they chose men God had already chosen you see that's how God confirms what he's doing so oftentimes in the church he's just waiting for us to follow when we begin to follow he says oh I've already got that mapped out just keep coming guys keep coming they chose the men he'd already chosen you say how do you know that keep reading with me because you see you see the assignment then you see the anointing what do you mean the anointing? Look at verse 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. They wait a minute. The apostles didn't anoint them. No, sir, God did. But he confirmed that through his men. I've had people ask me so many times through the years, they've come to an ordination service for the first time, and they said, what is this laying on of hands business? I know some people I'd like to lay hands on. <laughs> Can I get in on that? No, that's not what it's about. What this is about is those who are already engaged in God's service and ministry. Laying hands upon an individual because, you see, this was the custom of these Jewish people, and I think it's a beautiful custom and a beautiful symbol as they laid hands upon them and, and prayed for God's blessing in their lives. 
and prayed that God would use them in ministry, that he would bless their efforts and accomplish through their lives what only he could do. That's what that's about. And they laid hands on them and they prayed for them for this anointing to occur. Did it work? <laughs> Look at the list of men there. They chose Stephen, the man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. What, what do we know about Stephen? You don't even get out of this chapter before Stephen is under arrest for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Spirit of God got a hold of him, and he began to preach. They took him before the Sanhedrin, and he dressed them puppies down. Listen, folks, he got up there in front of the most educated and articulate men in Israel, and he dressed them down with the message of Jesus Christ, and he became the first martyr of the church. They were so convicted, they didn't know what to do. They drug him outside the city, and they stoned him to death. Oh, by the way, there was a young fellow there by the name of Saul. And that was where God began to work in his heart and life to move him toward becoming a great missionary by the name of Paul. They chose Stephen. Also Philip. Man, you don't read very far before you find Philip again. God turned him into a mighty evangelist. The Spirit of God moved him, picked him up, took him out in the wilderness where he had a confrontation with an Ethiopian eunuch who had been in Jerusalem worshiping at the temple and now was on his way home. And Philip explained to him from the Scriptures who Jesus was and how he could be born again. And he was born again. And he was baptized out there in the wilderness and then went on his way so that the gospel of Jesus Christ reached the continent of Africa early in the first century and early in the life of the church. Say, so, okay, that's two. What else you got? Well, just look at their names. Do you know what these names mean? Have you ever studied their names? Prochorus. Leader of the chorus. Or leader of the dance. Here's a man whose heart was full of worship and praise. Who else you got? Nicanor. His name means conqueror. Conqueror. Oh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of what Paul said. We are more than what? conquerors we have victory in jesus christ timon no it did not originate in lion king folks it's a biblical name the name timon right here one of the first dickens his name means honorable he was a man of character and integrity whose life reflected god parmenas means faithful or constant he reflects god the one who is steadfast, unwavering, and never changing. And Nicholas from Antioch. Nicholas, it means conqueror of people. My friend, you conquer people when you take the gospel to them. I want to tell you the quickest way to change your enemy into your friend is to make him your brother in Jesus Christ. The confirmation. The confirmation is revealed in the assignment, the anointing of these men, but it really is nailed down with the additions. 
Look at verse 7. This is one of the most amazing verses in the New Testament. So the word of God spread. You see, those pastors were able to do what they needed to. They were able to pray and preach. Some of these deacons got so excited about what they were doing, they started to preach. That's where you get Stephen and Philip. And I think that it went on and on. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Now, what in the world are they talking about increased rapidly? There were 3,000 in one day. What would qualify or quantify as rapidly? Most of us wouldn't know what to do if we saw 3,000 people come to Christ in a lifetime, let alone one day. And they say, oh, by the way, the word spread rapidly. I want to tell you, God was moving in a mighty way. So how can you confirm that? Look at the last line. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. That's my Jesus. He breaks down the barriers. I want to tell you something. These priests, these would have been the guys that opposed Jesus when he was in the temple. These priests, they would have been the ones that were egging on the the members of the Sanhedrin whenever they had Jesus under arrest. These priests, they're the ones who would have been part of that crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They were so set in their religion, nothing would ever change them. And then the gospel hit their ears. And they were changed. Folks, listen to me. The church is the body of Christ. We are his bride. And the church should be growing It should be growing in every imaginable way. We should be seeing believers born. We should be seeing people who come to this town drawn to this place. We ought to see born-again believers who are in this church who are growing spiritually and growing in their faith and getting closer to the Lord in their walk day by day. We ought to be growing in our unity. We ought to be growing in our worship. We ought to be growing in our impact. If the church is not growing, the church is dying. But if it's going to grow, there has to be shared ministry. There have to be godly men commissioned by God's people to do God's work. Men who are willing to yield themselves to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ to become laborers in the kingdom. Oh, listen, that ought to be a description of every believer who's part of the body. But even more so for those who are set aside as co-laborers alongside their pastor and their staff ministers. I pray that God will bless us with those kind of men. And I pray that we will continue to be a church that is reaching and going and giving and sharing and sending, and telling, and leading people to see and to know who Jesus Christ is. That's our calling. And I know that this morning, some of y'all came and said, wow, this, this sermon is so unlike what he's been preaching about lately. Yeah, it is. But you know what? It all winds up at the same place. 
Jesus Christ is Lord. The question this morning is, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he yours? He's mine. Years ago, I surrendered my heart and life to him, and I told him, I'm going to follow you. I don't care where you lead. I don't care what you ask for. I will follow you. And I've done the best of my ability to follow him. Listen, I have stepped off line at points, and he has corrected me and brought me back. That's the reason I'm here today. And that's the reason I'm asking you, have you given your heart and life to him? If you haven't today, Jesus Christ can be your Lord personally. Say, wait a minute, you said he is Lord. He is. You may not have acknowledged it yet, but he is Lord. But you see, all of us are sinners. And the only thing that changes that is whenever the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin and calls us to repentance, to turn from our sin, and to turn to Jesus. And when we do that, and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he makes us a new creation. And he begins to do amazing things in our lives that we never imagined could possibly happen. And that can happen in your life today. Have you acknowledged him as Lord? If not, I plead with you this morning, don't leave here until you do so. He is Lord. There may be someone sitting here saying, you know what, I've heard all this before. That's great, but it's not for me. I'm just going to endure this to the end. I'm going to walk out the door, and I'm going to act like I didn't hear it. Listen, now or later, you decide. See, God's Word tells us this, that one day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What that means is that all the saved are going to acknowledge him as Lord. But even those who are lost and on their way to an eternal hell are going to acknowledge that he is Lord. But it will be too late. My friend, don't wait. Acknowledge him today. And let him begin to do a work in your life that is beyond understanding. Would you bow your heads with me? In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of of invitation, a song of commitment. It may be that you're here this morning, you're saying, I've never acknowledged him as Lord. I'm doing whatever I want, however I want, as long as I want. Okay, that's your choice. My friend, I plead with you, I plead with you. See Jesus for who he is. Acknowledge him as Lord. Confess your sin. Receive his forgiveness. Allow him to create in you a new heart. Would you surrender to him today? If it's something you think you need to do, but you're not sure how to go about that, listen, when we stand in a moment and begin to sing, would you just come and take me by the hand? I I promise you, I will not embarrass you, put you on the spot, but I want to share with you how you can become a new creation today. It's not about me. It's about you and God. It's about a Savior by the name of Jesus who laid down his life for you. Would you call on him? Brothers and sisters in Christ, We are the bride. We are his body. 
Are we reflecting that with our lives? Are we reflecting that as a fellowship? Now listen. There's a ministry to do. There's a people that he has called to do it. Will we engage? Will we let him use us? Maybe you came here looking for a place to worship, a place to serve, a place to minister and be ministered to, a place where you could call home and, and be part of a family of faith. If God's brought you here, this is where you're supposed to be. You know it. You, don't put it off. Come, unite with this church. And let God use you in service through this body to accomplish his purpose. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that reveals how you worked then and gives us a window to understand how you work today. Father, just like that first church, we're a bunch of imperfect people joined together serving a perfect Savior. Sharing his perfect love and his perfect, complete salvation with those around us. Father, I pray this morning for us in this room. I know that we come from all different walks of life. We came from all different directions, but there are people in this room who do not know you as Lord and Savior. And perhaps some of them fooling themselves names on a church roll Sunday school class roll but their names never been written in the Lamb's book of life Father I pray that today your spirit would reveal the truth to them convict of sin, convince them of the Savior, draw them to yourself that today might be the day of their salvation Father, there are many in this room looking for, trying to understand their place, their, uh, how they can serve, where they can serve, what they can do. Some needing to take first steps to follow you in baptism, to follow you in becoming a part of the body of Christ by whatever means is needed. Uh, Father, I just pray that as you speak to our hearts, we would hear your voice. We would hear your call. We would be obedient. Lord, just as you worked through the lives of those seven men, I pray that you would work through the lives of this church to take the gospel, to spread it, that the church might increase rapidly. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives this morning. As you speak, may we hear. 